I had to pause there for a second because I, I wanted to walk over and give Emily a hug. And uh, I know she wasn't feeling real well as we got into that. And I think maybe she got a little nervous in front of the camera and some of those things. And so I'm really proud of her. So if you see her, um, just let her know how proud we all are of her. And uh, she is so gifted and so incredible. And um, I couldn't be more proud to be her dad. And, uh, and what you don't know and what you may not have heard, she sings pretty quiet, and I had placed the microphone so that you'd be able to hear her, but she sat over here on the stairs um, as we were singing, and you know she tried to come back, and then she went back to sit down. And what you couldn't hear, that I could hear, is her voice. And I could hear her singing, Jesus, name above all names. That other song, Call the Name of Jesus, is a song that we did a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorite songs, and Emily and I actually sat in my office, and we listened to it last night. We listened to the original artist, Amante Lacey, singing it, and he's a worship leader over in Columbus, Ohio, and he, he was singing this out, and it's so powerful. It's just, it's this incredible song, and uh, she's sitting next to me, and this huge smile that comes on her face you know the choir is singing in the background of this song these massive harmonies coming out and i could tell she just loved it and then it comes down to this part uh we love to call you jesus 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 we love to call you jesus and listening to emily singing that as it got to that part her her face just, I mean, absolutely lit up during that part. And I thought, man, I just want to introduce her to that Jesus. The Jesus who is Savior, who is friend. The, the Jesus who gathers us together as a community, built within his love and his mercy and his grace. As her dad, greatest responsibility I, I think I may ever have is introducing her to that Jesus. And my hope and my desire is in my life that I live out who that Jesus is. And I know I'm going to mess up. I know that I'm going to fail. I know that there are going to be times in life where I don't live up to the call that Jesus has given on all of our lives. I know that, but I know he is Savior. I know he is friend. I know through the power of the Holy Spirit as he continues to work in our lives, changing and transforming us, helping us become more like Jesus, that his love and his grace and his mercy can shine through our lives. And we can live and love more like Jesus. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that as we drop things in our lives that we've held on so tightly to. And we drop them and we give them to our Savior and our Lord. We place out our hands. We receive His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His love. And then, this is the incredible thing about our faith. This is the most beautiful part, I think, about the reality of what we call Christianity. Is that as we receive the goodness, the grace, and the mercy, and the love of God through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we then reflect it back into this world. That that is the call 
to love God as we talk about in our mission and vision, to love God and to love others. Now we see that reality in several places throughout scripture. We see it spelled out theologically. We see it in songs that we sing that tell us to love God and then love others, to to accept his grace and his love and his mercy and reflect that into our world. And we also see it in the prayer that we have been studying over the course of the last few weeks, a prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, a prayer of Jesus that he taught his disciples that he teaches to us that as we process it, as we explore it, as we learn to put it into our own words as we pray it, helps us transition from the place of receiving God's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness, and then extending that to this world. And these are the words of that prayer. In Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. And this is the words of Jesus. This, this is Jesus talking. This is then how you should pray. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we began the first two weeks looking at the phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we discovered that Jesus, in this part of this prayer, wasn't just giving us words to use, but was helping us to see something about God. We found that while God is the creator of everything, more than everything we could ever imagine, some use the word holy or sacred, he is also not disconnected from us. Jesus painted a picture through these words of an all-powerful God sitting on the throne, but also reaching down to hold us in his arms. And then we talked about this idea of hallowed be your name, meaning that we are to hallow God's name. Uh, maybe a better translation of that, and it's hard to, I don't want to you know, judge some of the incredible translators who translate these for us, but another way to translate, another way I want to look at it, another way that I want to help you as you put it under your own words, is that this petition that he gives us is, may your name be hallowed. And so as we pray, we're saying, may these things be true. May I see you as a father in heaven, but may your name also be hallowed. Another way to think about it is, may your name be hallowed through our lives, through my life. And we see that in this next phrase, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is God's invitation, not to see heaven as somewhere, something else out there disconnected to this place, to this earth but that heaven is something that God is bringing here to this earth, to this here and now. And he's inviting us not to just announce his kingdom, not just to say his kingdom is here, not to just say the resurrected Jesus is Lord of all, but to help bring it into reality by extending his grace, his mercy, and his love in this world. Not through control, not through power, but through sacrifice and through love by being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, giving his grace and his mercy and love. And everywhere we go and do that, everywhere that we go and be Jesus, 
and recognize that he is Lord of our lives, loving and sacrificing and giving for him. We are bringing his kingdom into this world. The next phrase puts that action, puts that prayer into action. Give us this day our daily bread. And as we pray, we pray for our daily bread. And ours plural there. So my daily bread. I'm praying for the provision from God. But as I pray, again, we, are, we learn that this prayer is about reflecting to others. So as I pray for his provision, as God gives, then I am to cheerfully and generously reflect his generosity of provision to me. And when I am in a position where I have more than enough, I am to then reflect his provision into this world. We should see ourselves as people who are trusting in God's faithfulness in our lives and then generously, cheerfully, sacrificially giving and supporting the impact of his good in this world. That happens through organizations we support. It also happens through our individual charity, our individual concern for others. It happens in relationship with other people as we recognize that we are not alone in this world, that we have a responsibility to brothers and sisters, that we have a responsibility to care for each other. And then we get to the fourth phrase that reminds us that sometimes we miss the mark on that. Sometimes our selfishness, sometimes our greed gets in the way. It causes us to become misaligned with God's will for this world. And selfishness and greed can't lead anywhere but destructive behavior. But God's forgiveness is available to us. So Jesus tells us, drop the pride, drop the shame about being misaligned with God's will. Accept God's grace, his mercy. Receive his forgiveness, his restoration. Be restored to that reality. So sometimes, again, we're misaligned. And so we, we are missing our connection to the grace and the mercy of love of God. And so we end up focusing in on ourselves and our own path and our own ways. And this part of the prayer tells us that we can receive God's gift of forgiveness in our lives, become realigned with his will for our lives and his will for this world. And then he helps us repent and turn and be restored into the people that he has called us to be. And then last week we talked about forgiving others, how forgiving is not always easy. And as we prayed then, forgive us for the way that the things that we have done, may we also then in turn reflect that, extend that grace to others, that grace that God has shown us. So we closed last week with this idea and this reminder that God's grace extends to us. Even when we mess up, even when we miss the mark, even when we fail to be the kind of people that God is calling us to be, just as I talked about in the very beginning, God's grace is big enough to extend to us. And if I'm going to accept God's grace and his love and his mercy, why would I not extend that same grace and forgiveness to others? And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Other translations, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us us. And that seems like something we can easily understand. If I am going to accept forgiveness, then, then I should be able to forgive others. That, that concept of forgiveness, that concept of what it means to forgive, 
doesn't seem like it should be that hard for us to understand. Now, if someone told you, they said, I don't understand that. I don't understand forgiveness. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand what this forgiveness thing about. You'd probably consider them narcissistic at best. You'd maybe be uncertain if they should participate in society. Forgiveness is something that seems pretty easy to understand. While we may struggle with forgiving other people, struggling with the act of forgiveness, at least we can understand what forgiveness is all about. Now that tension is what leads us to this final statement because this statement that comes next, while forgiveness is something we can understand, it's a concept we can understand that might be hard to put into place, this next concept that Jesus talks about at first glance is hard to understand it. And the implementation of it, the way that we would put this prayer into our own words, means understanding something that at first seems maybe confusing and contradictory to how we understand God. That's what I want to focus the rest of our time together today on, and it's what I want to end this series with as we close. Matthew 6, 13 says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I'm going to read that again one more time for us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, why would God lead us into temptation? Why, why would I pray about that? Doesn't that seem contradictory to the way of God? Doesn't it seem weird that I, that I would say, uh, God, lead, lead me not into temptation? Why, why would God do that? Now, we're not the first people to struggle with that little bit of tension there. In fact, Jesus had a brother named James, and James wrote a letter to churches addressing the issue of temptation. And at first glance, I want you to see this, at first glance, it seems that James is contradicting Jesus. Listen to what he says in, in James 1, 13. This is a letter he wrote to a group of churches. He said, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, this is so fascinating to me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Jesus says. And James says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted of you, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, I'm sure, like any of us, James and Jesus had some sibling rivalry, but James accepted Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. It's really one of the most incredible things we see in Scripture, that his brother, very own brother, said, this, this is my Messiah. This is the Savior and Lord of the universe. And I don't think James is contradicting Jesus here. I think he fully believed in Jesus. So what is going on in this passage? Why are we told by Jesus to pray that we're not led into temptation while also being told that God cannot and does not tempt us? I want to look at a passage back in Matthew, a few chapters before Jesus gave this prayer. It is a time that Jesus went into the wilderness, and there he was tempted. It's actually the scripture that many people around the world are reading today as a part of Lent. Lent is the season that takes us to Easter. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of processing. And so other people gathered all around the world are reading this text in their churches and processing it as well. And so I want to do that as we process. What does this mean for us? And how can we understand this idea of temptation? Let's go to Matthew 4. It says this. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put your Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left and the angels came and attended him. Now in this passage, we see Jesus experiencing the very real reality of temptation. Just like us, Jesus wrestled with temptation. Just like us, Jesus wrestled with the reality of his physical need. He, he wrestled with the reality of pride. He wrestled with the desire to make himself king. He, he wrestled with all of these things, the same things that we wrestled with. Physical temptation, emotional temptation, temptation to control things. Needs, wants, desires. We find all of those there whispering, rationalizing, and pushing Jesus to give in. Isn't this the same thing that we face in temptation? We face this voice whispering to us. We face this rationalization. We face this pushing to give in to that temptation. There's a lot of different ways that people have looked at this story of Jesus. And I think that's one of the ways to understand it and see it. I think it's a struggle for us when we read words like Satan or the devil. We think about the man coming in, in red spandex with a fork, and so it's easy for us to see this as allegory. But I think it's really important for us to see that whispering voice coming to Jesus. So you can have all of this. You could make that bread. You could do this and you could impress all of these people. They would see who you are. You wouldn't have to go through the trials that you're going to face. And Jesus says, no. He pushes back the voice. He said, I'm going to follow my God where he leads me. Which brings us back to how Jesus got here in this position. In Matthew 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I want you to notice where Jesus led, led, was led. I want, you to, I want you to see who did the tempting. Jesus was led into the wilderness. And it's in that wilderness that Jesus was tempted. The reality of our lives is that God is calling us to be his people to be kingdom people in a broken world. And what that means is that when we enter this world, we enter our reality around us, 
If we're not standing side by side with temptation, if we're somehow excluding ourselves from society, we're missing out on who we're supposed to be. We're bringing grace and love and mercy into this world. And sometimes that leads us into places we might call wilderness. It might cause us to lead us to places where sometimes we feel alone. We feel the end of ourselves. Maybe we feel ready to give up. Sometimes the wilderness is a place. It's, it's in between one thing and going into another. You know, I feel like I've really experienced that over the last couple of years, and maybe you felt that way too. That sometimes it's in those places where we have some of that uncertainty in our lives. Sometimes it's that place where we have a fear. Sometimes it's a place where we feel like I'm going from here to there, and I'm in this in-between, and God, I'm afraid. I'm in this wilderness moment. And if I don't seek God in those moments, if you don't seek God in those moments, you're more susceptible to the whispering. You're more susceptible to the temptation. You're more susceptible to rationalization that says, I want to get out of this wilderness quicker. Or I want to experience something different than this wilderness. Or you're in that time where you're alone and you're saying, if, if I could have my way, if I could be in charge of this situation, then things would look very different. So those are the temptations that Jesus faced here in these moments. Alone. At the end, ready to give up. And it's in those moments that we find ourselves most vulnerable. And it's in those moments that we need to continue to pray this prayer that Jesus taught. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in the original Greek, there weren't the commas that we have that so help us in our language to identify some of the breaks. Uh, here there, there may be. I want us to think about this because I want us to think about this passage um, theologically. I want to think about it through how we've understood what Jesus went through. I want us to think about how it interacts with James. And so as you read this, I want you to add a breath where you may not otherwise add one. I want you to add it between the words lead and us. Um, my daughter, we talk about commas all the time because as she is learning to write, she talks about, uh, Dad, it seems to be that this is the place where there seems to be a breath. There, there seems to be a pause here, and I think there's one here as well. So I'm going to have Joe put it up here, this Matthew 6, 13. And lead us. I want you to take that very strong pause there. Lead us. If I could blank out all the rest of this, I would, and I want us to start there. The, the, as you begin to put this in your own words, your prayer to God, as you pray this prayer, is, and lead us. I almost want you to forget. I almost want you to ignore the rest of that for now. Because if you don't, what's easy to do is get focused, to get caught up on the rest of the words here, to get caught up on temptation, to get caught up on the idea of the evil one. Just pause and just pray this with me. And lead us us. Father, lead me. Take that pause, take that breath, add that comma, and lead us, not into temptation. No, 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 no. Other things lead me into temptation. You, you don't, I know that. So, so lead us. Not in temptation as 
other things do or as I even do. But, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I know that gets weird at the end and the word one isn't there. It's literally the evil, which has, which has caused translators to add the evil one. So it gets translated the evil one. And this causes us, again, to think of that red dude spandex and a pitchfork and the prayer gets weird and we end up tossing out this entire line or not taking it seriously because I and I want you to stop I want you to I, I want you to pause there and I want you to realize I need you to take this seriously as you can and recognize what it means when it says the evil now the idea of the devil or the tempter is complex in scripture we have to be really careful. We can end up in some really strange places. I'm, I'm not telling you not to take that reality seriously, but what I'm asking you to do is to not go into some strange place with this, to not put all of your focus on the evil one and get caught up in that idea. A better translation for us that might keep, keep us on track might be the literal translation, deliver us from the evil. And the evil is that what I'm capable that what I'm capable of, regardless of what got me there. See, lead us, God, lead us, not into temptation, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, from the evil that I'm so capable of participating in. Left on my own, I'll lead myself into temptation. I'll go right to the edge of the road, as close as I can to the guardrail. I'll go as close as I can to the sin, and I'll eventually break through the barrier, finding myself plunging down the cliff into destructive behaviors and hurt that come with succumbing to temptation. I will do that all on my own. You will do that all on your own. See, it's easy for us as we travel the road of life, as we enter times of wilderness, to lose our focus on the end of that road, to lose our focus on Jesus, and to get closer and closer and closer to these guardrails of our life, to get closer and closer to the edge, to rationalize as we move closer to the reality of temptation. And then before we know it, we have broken through the barriers and plunged down into the cliff of destructive behavior. Some people talk about falling into sin, but you walk your way there first before you ever fall over the edge. And so what Jesus is telling us to pray here is that we don't have to get there. That's the promise and the power of this prayer. This prayer is about where God leads me. This is much a conviction for myself as I'm asking you to make it a conviction for you. I'm fully capable of leading myself into temptation. My prayer is, is that God would lead me, lead me, not leave me, that God would lead me and deliver me as he promises he would do. You are fully capable of leading yourself into temptation. Your prayers that God would lead you, deliver you as he promises. We find one of these promises in the beautiful words of Psalm 23. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love 
will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen again at the beginning of this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He is my daily bread. He has everything I need in the wilderness. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though when I enter the time of wilderness, I am scared and I am afraid, it is uncertain and I have fear. I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, he will lead you to quiet waters. He will guide you to righteous paths. These are his promises. You will have moments when you walk through dark valleys, when you experience the temptation of evil. But don't fear. And don't give in. Because he's with you and he's guiding you. One way to think about this prayer would be like this. Lead us not into temptation as the tempter or we ourselves might lead, but deliver us from evil. The question then for you this morning, the reflection that I would have for you is, who is leading you? And where are you being led? Temptation is a part of the human condition, but if we're not being led by God, we're going to lead ourselves right into temptation and follow it all the way to its destructive conclusion. And instead, we pray this prayer, all of it, that invites us to accept a loving Heavenly Father as the Lord of our lives, living out the goodness, grace, provision, and forgiveness He has given us, following Him into a life of sacrificial love that transforms this world as it transforms us. This is the beauty of this prayer. This is the beauty of how Jesus says this. I, I love this. I love this, that it begins this prayer. With, he begins this prayer with our heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. Our heavenly Father. Before that, he talked about that, that our God knows what we need. Before we even ask, he knows where we are. He knows the situations we're facing. He knows the wilderness that you're in right now. He knows the questions you're asking, the tensions you have. He knows the fears that you face. He knows the uncertainty that you have in this moment right here and right now. And you don't have to fear. You don't have to go chasing your own thing. You don't have to try to be in control of the moment. You can simply be in a place of trust and worship. I will fear no evil. And I will trust in you. It's in that place daily that I'm encouraging you to be. Do it when you wake up. Pray it at lunch. Pray it before you go to bed. How many of us say, oh, it's time to pray and we don't know what to pray? How many of us come into moments with our families at dinner? We sit down and we, we don't know what to do or how to pray. What if we stopped? And we said these words, as we close out this sermon today and close out this series, being invited to trust God, even in the darkest valley of our lives, saying this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.